I'm Jim Brown, your Bible teacher here at Grace and Truth Ministries. I've been teaching on Saturday on the subject that I've got on the board. I've been noticing how everything in the Bible just synthesizes together, just clicks. Well, with God arranging it all, he's arranged it mathematically and every other way. And I put some words on the board that I've been talking about. I've been talking about covenant. And covenant and testament are the same exact word in the New Testament. I don't know why they made it two different English words. They are both the word. Uh, it, it comes from dia. And testament and covenant, it's it's the word diatheke, D-I-A-T-H-E-K-E. Diatheke means last will and testament. Everyone knows what that's about, last will. And testament. A last will and testament has to be drawn up by what is called the testator. The testator is the person who draws up their will. I've drawn up a will. I'm a testator. I know what it's about. And it there has to be a death of the testator before the inheritance can be distributed. I should have put that word up here too. Inheritance. Inheritance. Covenant and testament is about predestination or separation or choosing. Now, predestinate is the word prohorizo. Prohorizo means to predetermine beforehand. Horizo, uh, no H's in the Greek, just that little diacritical mark, has a breathing sound. Horizo. So this actually means to pre. Pro is our prefix pre. Before. It means before. It means to before horizo or horizon. It means to bound inside the light. Now, the reason God has to predestinate a family because there's none that seeketh after God. None seeks after God. There's none righteous, not one. So if nobody seeks, if God doesn't chase himself down or pick himself a people out, nobody's going to come to him. That's the necessity of predestination. When he predestinates us, this is all about a covenant. He forms a covenant with his people. That's amazing because... The Bible says in the first chapter of Matthew when he comes to 
Joseph and says, That which is conceived of thy wife is of the Holy Spirit. And he said, Thou shalt call his name Jesus, because he, Jesus means Savior, because he shall save his people. They were his people from the foundation of the world. His people from their sin. His is a possessive pronoun. It means he owned them. How long has he owned them before the world began? This gets us to this word separation. One of the words for separate is the word op. Notice this word, op. Horizo. It's akin to the word prohorizo because prohorizo, predestinate, means before everything, before the world, God horizoed or bound his people inside of the light. And aphorizo, apo means to set off a boundary line for his people, and that's the word separate. When Paul would say, God separated me unto the gospel that I would preach the gospel. I've got some papers on this that I'd like to show you. There's a couple of words for chosen. One is the word aporizo, and the other word, when he says, we are bound to give thanks. This is Second Thessalonians 2.13. We're bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, talking about the Thessalonians only, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation. How? He tells you how he chose us. Through sanctification of the Spirit. Sanctification of the Spirit. You gotta define these words. They sound real holy if you don't define them. And belief of truth. God hath from the beginning, from time, time immemorial, from beginning, He hath chosen you. The word chosen there is the word this is the word chosen, Second Thessalonians 2.13. Here is the word chosen. Chosen is this verse is haromai, H-A-I-R-O-M-A-I. Haromai is a form of heresis. It means to choose for one's self. It's a form of heresis, H-A-I-R-E-S-I-S. Heresis is the word heresy. God is the only one that can have a heresy. It means to choose for self. And we get the word heretizo, H-A-I-R-E-T-I-Z-O, which is the word heretic, H-A-I-R-E-T-I-Z-O. R-E, I'll get it in a minute, H-E-R-E-T-I-C, H-E-R-E-T-I-C. Now, heretic is a good word for God, but it's a bad word for us. The Bible says if a person, in Titus 3.10, 
It's a, if a person is a heretic, after the second admonition, reject him. What that is saying, this word heresis means to choose, or you might call it free will. If a man thinks he has free will by choosing himself, it's his will, the man's will, it's not God's will. If he's a heretic, reject him, reject and leave him alone because he doesn't believe the truth. So heretic or heresis, every time you find the word sect, S-E-C-T, in the Bible, it is this word heresis. It's a heresy, and you find sect of the Pharisees. They had a boundary line. I'll get it in a minute. P-H-A-R-I-S-E-E-S. Every time you find sect, the Pharisees had laws that they considered you had to live by, and they had all this error in their laws. That was what we would call halakha. I don't have time to go into that. Halakha. That was the the verbal law of the Pharisees. And every time you find the word sect, it's the word heresies. Well, a man that is a heretic, and he's got his own will, and he refuses the will of God after the second admonition, put away from him. That's what the Bible says. Now, you've got all kinds of words for chosen. Then you have the word sanctification. Bound to give thanks all we God for you, brethren, beloved Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you. He's chosen you before the foundation world through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. Sanctification is the word hagiosmos. Hagiosmos would be very closely related to Haromai. This is God's... Let me say something I was going to say. Heresis. When we talk of a heresy, we talk about who gets to choose their will. Only God. Well, when man sets up his own sect, that's what we call in this day and time denomination. I don't believe in denominations. Domination. Denomination is a construction of D, meaning to set off, and nomos. Nomos is the Greek word law. That's when a that's when a group of people call themselves Southern Baptist, Pentecostals, Assembly of God. They are a denomination. And what happens in a denomination if you go outside of their belief, they'll come to you in the church, especially if you're a Sunday school teacher or you're going around talking to people about predestination and Christmas is paganist, Roman Catholicism. They'll come to you and say, uh, Mr. Brown, we, we don't believe you need to be talking to people here like that, and we're going to relieve you of your Sunday school class because we just don't believe the things you're saying, even if it's true or not. They have a denomination. If you're in most Baptist churches and you say, I do not believe in a pre-trib rapture, 
they will ostracize you because most of them believe in a pre-trib rapture and it don't know it doesn't matter if you tell them we're going to be changed in a moment in the twinkle of an eye at the last trump and that there's seven trumpets in revelation 8, 9, and 10, and in 10 and 7, when the last one sounds, the mystery of God, the church is complete, and time is no more. They don't care if the Bible says that. We as Baptists believe. Uh, our uh, statement of faith uh, says that we believe in free will. They don't care. So when you do that, they will ostracize you and tell you to leave. If you go into a Pentecostal church and say, we don't, I don't believe in tongues because tongue is the word dialectos. And that's a dialect of the common street language and they had a different dialect in every city state. And you tell them, gloss is the other word for tongue in the Bible. It comes from glossary and it means a foreign language. And a glossary was a section of a book with words that are foreign to the average reader. They'll say, we don't care about that. Now we as Pentecostals, praise God, we believe by. You go, Shandalakanda Mandai, and that's baloney. They will ostracize you in their heresies. Only God has a heresy. Only God can be a heretic and have his own will. It's not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that shows mercy. Now, sanctification, this is how you're chosen to salvation. God has to choose who he wants to give his covenant or his testament to by separating a group of people to himself and choosing them since there's none righteous, not one, none understands, none seeks after God. There's nobody good. But people think they're good because they haven't robbed any banks and they haven't killed anybody. I'm pretty self-righteous myself that's what they think and there's none righteous god has to reveal a man the darkness of his own heart so and if a and a man can't go to heaven because he thinks he's a good guy you have to repent of sin and you can't do that unless god reveals your sin to you and rebukes you and causes you to repent now let me get back to some other things all right Sanctification is the word hagiosmos. It comes from the word hagios, which is hold, the word holy. And boy, that is a difficult word. When the Bible says, be ye holy for I am holy, my father and all of his independent Baptist preacher friends used to say, we don't know what holy is, but you better find out. Because when the Bible says, be holy, that's an imperative mood. That's a command. You have to be what God says. That word holy, hagios, means to be pure or single. What it means is that you have an inner man and an outer man, and God's got to reduce you down to the inner man, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And the outer man keeps sinning and can't quit. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. And then that's First John 1 and 8 and 1 John 3 and 9, two of my favorite verses on man's condition. 
Whosoever is born of God does not commit sin. So you've got this sinful man in you. So God has to choose you, sanctify you, set you apart. And how does he do that? Through fire, trials, persecution. He doesn't just clean you up without affecting your emotional being. He puts you through so many fire and trials. The trial of your faith works patience. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. The the triumph of your faith is much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tried by fire. Fire comes in all kinds of forms. It comes in in your family hating you because you start believing the truth, and they don't want anything to do with you when you say Christmas is pagan, it's Christ's mass, it's Roman Catholicism, and they'll persecute you for that. You have to come to a place of understanding. You have to please God instead of men. If I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. So when you're going through these fire and trials, you're supposed to be depressed. I told a lady one day, I said, well, I'm really grieved and depressed and tired of the world. She said, you're not supposed to be that way. You're supposed to be happy and glorifying God. No, you're not. Not all time. I can only be happy when I'm around believers. If Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and he's predestined us to be like him, and he has, he's predestined to conform to his likeness, then we have to be people of sorrows and acquainted with grief. That's the way it works. The world has got this thing twisted. They think, if you're a Christian, you're supposed to jump around happy and, and just to... And cheering and isn't God wonderful and wonderful and you go out in public hey don't you love Jesus and you love Jesus well I love Jesus doesn't he love Jesus that's just phony as a three dollar bill let me tell you what is really fake it's real nice people they're fake it take it's take me years to come to this understanding. I was watching a movie the other night. It was a 1955 movie, Blackboard Jungle. I don't know if you ever saw that. I thought that was the greatest movie when I was a teenager. I was 16, and when I drove my 51 Ford to the movie to see it, took some girl with me, and uh, I always had a date with some cute girl. Went to see Blackboard Jungle. I saw it the other night, and I had a diff, completely different understanding than I did when I was 16. Glenn Ford was in it. Glenn Ford is Mr. Nice Guy. Just nothing wrong with him. He was so popular. Everybody in Hollywood said he just moved up the ladder and became super, super popular, one of the biggest stars in the 40s and 50s. And I got to looking at him, and he was just... Nothing was ever wrong with him, and he was a good guy. The Bible says, Woe unto you when all men speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. That means Glenn Ford. I think of real popular people that have, that everybody likes, and they're very glib. And I got to thinking, those superstars that everybody likes, whether they're football stars, whether they're baseball stars or basketball stars or singing stars, and they don't have any enemies, apparently. They're not saying anything. I've had people say, well, I have never had people get angry at me for anything. 
There was a real famous gospel singer that Bill Gaither used to feature him on his show before he died. He, everybody said he was the best guy. He was the most wonderful guy. And he was featured more than anybody on Bill Gaither's show while he was alive. He was very famous. Everybody talked about how good he was. I was under contract to him one time. He lied to me. He stole from me. You can't trust real nice people. If they're friends with the world, they're enemies of God. If all the world speaks well of them, you're going to have to come to a place where you God's going to have to give you the guts. You don't have to be abrasive and cutting. You just say the truth. I preached a funeral yesterday. And at the funeral, I was very gentle in it, but I'm firm in what I say. And whenever I get out in public, I'll say, did you know that it was against the law to celebrate Christmas 300 years ago in America? Do you believe in predestination? The Bible talks about it. And you will scare people. They'll get to where they don't want to be around you. So what we're talking about, you'll have to go through fire and trials. That's what will make you holy. That's what sanctification means. Sanctify. Sometimes the word sanctify is the word aporizo. When Paul said, I was separated unto the gospel. Aporizo, excuse me, A-P-H-O-R-I-Z-O is a synonym for any any word that means to sanctify because that's word that means to separate. God separates us from the world with fire and trial and persecution and all kinds of problems in our life. And you may not know what those are for, but you will know as you grow older. As you get old, you'll say, well, that's what all that was about. Now, we're talking about God had to pick a family and predestinate them to give his covenant or to give his testament to. And he has to separate us and choose us out of the world. And when we do... We're going to have to drink the cup, and that has to do with a covenant or a testament. When Jesus took the cup there at the last Passover, this amazes me because I am trying to connect all these things together biblically. When he took the cup and blessed it there in Matthew 26 at the last Passover, he blessed the cup. That The fact that he was blessing the cup at the last Passover means it was the cup of blessing. That was a title for the third cup of the Passover. The official title was cup of blessing. So when Jesus took the cup and blessed it and said, this cup is the blood of the New Testament. It's the cup of the last will and testament. And we have to drink. He said, drink ye all of it. To drink of a cup, I've said it a thousand times in the last year, means to undergo a death. But you cannot drink of a cup or undergo a testament until the death 
of the man who drew it up. The man who drew it up was Christ, and that's called the testator. And over there in Hebrews 9, let's read it one more time. You say, Jim, you keep reading these things. All of it's connected together. All of it's connected. Hebrews, the ninth chapter, and he says, Now when Jesus took the cup, blessed it, and said, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. I haven't had anybody even comment to me on this. This is very important. The Bible says he is the mediator, the mesotase. He's the go-between of the New Testament. That by means of death, he had to die for the Testament to take effect. By means of death, for the redemption, in order to redeem his people, of the, the redemption of the transgressions, that were under the first testament, that's the Old Testament, the old last one in Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. That's very important. Promise. Remember promise. That ought to go in here too, promise. Promise is the word epangelia, E-P-A-G-G, E-L-I-A. It's, it comes from two words, epi and angelos, A-G-G-E-L-O-S, which is the word angel, but angel is not a good word. That's an English word. The translator should have translated this messenger. That's all that angel means. It means a messenger. Gabriel is a heavenly messenger. He came to Daniel at the time of the evening oblation. And he came to Mary and announced to her that she's going to have a son of the Holy Spirit. And then you had Michael, the archangel. He was an angel of death. He was a messenger of death. He always brought death with him. And then you have preachers. They're messengers. I'm an angel, not because I'm real self-righteous or holy, but because I'm a messenger. That's what the word means. Promise means epangelia, means to place upon the message of God. And he places that only upon his predestinated, separated, chosen, elect family that drinks the cup and that applies the testament. But there has to be the death of the testator. All this is like one sentence. Now let's finish reading this. That which... That which might be called the promise, God places up that on his elect family, of eternal inheritance. Boy, inheritance, the only people that can inherit something are those who are in the last will and testament. Inheritance, every time you see it. Inheritance. It will be one of these words. Clero-nomia. Or clero-nomos. Clero-nomos. Clero means portion. Nomos is the Greek word law. 
It means a lawful portion. Oh, I need to put another word up here. The only ones who get a lawful portion are those who have been adopted into the family. The Bible says there in Ephesians 1 and 5, having predestinated us, he's predestined us to the adoption of children. Adoption, huiothosia, H-U-I-O. Let me move this out of the way. You have to be adopted. All these things go together. Huiothosia, we've been predestinated to the adoption of children. H-U-I-O-T-H-E-S-I-A. Huiothosia comes from huios, which is the word sons, and tithame. Tithame means to place. You don't place yourself as a son. You don't adopt yourself into the kingdom of God. He has to adopt who he wills. It's his choosing. Whoever he wants to, out of all mankind, it will be only a few people. Few will find the narrow way. The narrow way is all of this fire and persecution. Narrow thalibo is a form of the word thalipsis, which is the word tribulation. So you have to go through Thalipsis, the narrow way. It means to press through a narrow opening while you're being persecuted on all sides. This doesn't sound like the message the preachers are preaching, does it? It's a nicey, nice message they're preaching. How you can be strong in the faith and how you live a better life for the Lord and how if you're faithful to the church and, and you read your Bible regularly. If you don't know what the words mean, what good is it going to do you? I listen to some of the most profound scholars in the country on radio, and sometimes they get to wandering around a circle. And I just go, why don't you explain them what that means? Even John MacArthur will do that. He preaches some real good messages, and some of them I think, why don't you tell them what some things mean, John? I just don't... He's a... I believe he's a godly man, but I believe he's got a lot of error in his doctrine. And he's the only one that I would even think of listening to because the rest of them are just full of circle talk. If you don't know what these words mean, and you have to have an inheritance, and you have to be adopted. Well, we got that in there, so that's another word we're adding in there. you got to drink the cup, and you got to go through a blood baptism, which is a death. A blood baptism and drinking the cup are the same thing. It's like when Jesus told James and John. He says, can you do two things like two witnesses? There's going to be, you have to have two witnesses to everything you do in Israel. That's what Numbers 35, Deuteronomy 17, and Deuteronomy 19 says that you have to have two witnesses and they have to be reliable and honest to confirm anything in Israel. So Jesus said, can you be drink the cup that I drink of? That's a witness. That's death to self. Can you be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? That's another witness. That's death to self. They mean the same thing. Now, let me finish reading this here. And he says... For where a testament, verse 16, where a testament is, 
where Diathike is, where a last will and testament is, there must be of necessity the death of the testator. Let me put it this way. Where a last will and testament is, there must be a death of Christ for it to have any force. Let's read the next verse. For a testament is of force, be bios. There's that word again, B-E-B-A-I-O-S. Stabilized. That's the same word, make your calling and election sure, sure there in Second Timothy. Oh, excuse me. First Second Peter, not Second Timothy. Second Peter, after you add these seven things to your faith, when you add the seven things, I put Timothy again. Second Peter, start in verse five. When you add these things, You'll never fall. Make your calling and election sure. Be by us. Stabilize your faith by adding these things through the fire and the trial and the persecution. You could put that in line too. So if, so you'll only stabilize the last will and testament. You can only do that after the death of the testator. When Jesus said, this cup is my last will and testament, it's not going to be in effect till he's dead about 18 hours later. He's not talking about drinking grape juice or some kind of elixir that'll make you drunken. He wasn't even talking about the grape juice in the cup. He said, this is my last will and testament. So when you have a last will and testament, you have a covenant. You have, and you know what a covenant is. God just simply picks out a people. A covenant is a two-way street. That's what it is. It's a two-way street. Let me erase some of this. I've had people say, well, I've got a covenant with God. Not without obedience, you don't. Oh, you have one. But God is saying, I will, I will fulfill my covenant. Here's the way it works. Here's the way, let me, let me erase all this. Here's the way a covenant works. I picked you out. Well, let's go over there to that verse I wanted to read in Deuteronomy 7. Deuteronomy 7. Here's, you have all these words are synonyms, words with like meanings. That's what a synonym is. Covenant, testament, predestination, separation, choosing, drinking a cup, baptism, obedience. You have to be obedient. When you have a covenant, a last will and testament, you have to obey the laws of the last will and testament. And here's what you get. You get eternal life, life 
when you're obedient. Well, now this sounds like works for salvation to some people. You're obedient to the word of God. But obedience is faith. Faith worketh. Worketh by by love. John 6 and 5. John 5 and 6. By love. Agape. Agape is walking in the commandments of God. Second John 6. Notice how all of this just flows together. It just flows. Faith works by agape. And agape is walking in the commandments of God. Second John 6. Is that obedience? Yes. And if we don't obey God, what does he do? He puts us through fire and persecution. But he says, just because you won't keep the covenant, I will not keep my covenant away from you. I'll beat you with a scourge until you start to obey me. It's just like having a child. You don't say, I'm going to, I'm going to disinherit you. You say, I'll spank you till you do behave. That's what God says. I'll scourge you until you, and I'll put the desire and the will for you to die to the flesh in your mind. Faith worketh by walking in God's commandments. Is that obeying? Yes. And what, if we put predestination there, we need to put election. Elect has the basic same meaning as as grace. Grace means unmerited favor. Elects mean favor. And if God favors you, you're going to do what he says. He says, unto you it is given in behalf of Christ. Philippians 1.29. It's given to you. Not just to believe upon him, but to suffer for his sake. Because when you obey and you start telling people truth and you walk in the commandments of God, they're going to persecute you with fire, trial, tribulation, and persecution. We're supposed to have a hard time entering into heaven. This thing of, it's easy to go to heaven. It is not. If the righteous scarcely be saved, where will the ungodly or the sinner appear with God? Scarcely bogus means with great difficulty. Difficulty. You think the fire and the trial, I'm trying to something out to you that I'm seeing in its fullness with great difficulty it's difficult being a believer and that's not your choice that's his choice he just chose who he will I, I, I hate this message that my sister-in-law is a Pentecostal charismatic she was on TV in one night she said it's easy to be saved. Mary, you are ignorant. It is not. It's difficult going through fire and trial and persecution and suffering the scourge of God. David said, Lord, deliver me, deliver me from the wicked which is thy sword in thy hand. God uses evil men to cut us down so he can get a hold of our minds and our hearts. Look here in Deuteronomy 7. Deuteronomy 7. 
he chooses who he wants to choose and he chooses a few and he chooses the smallest number. God did not say, fear not great big worldwide mega church. He said, fear not little flock. It's the God's God's good pleasure to give you his kingdom. Now over here in Deuteronomy 7. He's talking to Israel right before they enter into the promised land. Everybody is believers in Israel now. He's killed off all the unbelief over a 40-year period. Verse 1, When the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land, whither thou goest to process it, and hast cast out many nations before thee, the Hittites, the Gergesites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, these are all sun and tree worshippers, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, and seven nations greater and mightier than you, Israel. And it's going to have to be my miracles that overcomes these fighting machines. And when the Lord thy God shall deliver them from before thee, you got. he said, if you're obedient to me in the 28th chapter of this book, you'll go against your enemy one way, and they'll flee seven ways. And he's saying that right here. Thou shalt smite them and utterly destroy them. And they're, they're going to be overwhelming in numbers and power. Thou shalt make no covenant with them. There's a word covenant. Bereth. You don't covenant with them and say, we'll obey your laws and we'll do the things that you say. Nor show mercy unto them. Neither shalt thou make marriages with them because they're heathens. They're worshiping idol gods. This has nothing to do with black and white. Thy daughter thou shalt not give unto his son, nor his daughter shalt thou take unto thy son. If you take a daughter of those pagans for your son, it was the job of the wife to stay at home and teach the children while the husband went out to the field and plowed I went and took care of the sheep the woman would stay at home and teach her children son and tree worship that's why God says don't intermarry with heathens it's not not talking about don't intermarry races for they will turn away thy son from following me that's why you don't intermarry that they may serve other gods. Good grief, KKK, and people who think that intermarrying races is wrong. That's that's wrong. So will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and destroy thee suddenly. But thus shall you deal with the, with them. You shall destroy their altars, break down their images, cut down their groves, Burn, that's their tree gods. Burn their graven images with fire. For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. And then he says, this, need to underline this and highlight it in yellow. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. 
the Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any people, for you were the fewest in number of people. You were the few that enter in the narrow way. You were the little flock, fear not little flock. All these Amorites and Hittites and Perites are going to hell. I've made them to go to hell. But because the Lord loved you and because this is a sign of a covenant. You don't have to have the word covenant there. When you have a law of God that chooses a people and gives them laws, that's agape, that they have to obey, that's a covenant. And did Israel obey God's laws? No! They went after Baal and the grove and Shemosh and Molech and all the gods of the Amorites and the Gergesites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the gods of the Syrians and the gods of Egypt. Israel went away from Jehovah God and served all these other gods and they disobeyed the covenant of God. That's what a covenant is. It's a two-way street. I don't know why people think all you have to do is walk down an aisle and get saved and pray a sinner's prayer and then you're home free and you can live the way you want. You're not a part of the covenant there. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. And God picked you out if you're one of his elect and you have to obey him. We're created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in these good works. Good, agathos, beneficial works of God. We are living in an insane world. The first time the covenant is used in the Bible is in Genesis 6. This is the first time you find the word covenant. Genesis 6, this is right before Noah enters into the ark, and God forms a covenant, but it's the same covenant with Abraham. It's a covenant of obedience. you got to keep remembering covenant and testament or diatheke, it's a last will and testament. But Jesus has to die before we participate in the last will and testament. And he's already died to us. God was doing away, nailing to the cross the Old Testament there in Colossians 2.14, blotting out the handwriting of rituals of the Old Testament, which was against us, it was contrary to us, took it out of the way, nailing the Old Testament to his cross, all the rituals. Now when everything is spiritual, do we have to obey God? Well, the Bible talks about being obedient to the faith. The, talk, the Bible says that Christ will come back, taking vengeance on all those that know not God that obey not the gospel, you have to obey the gospel, whatever that is. And the gospel is, the gospel is prepare you the way of the Lord, and the way is narrow. That's the tribulation way. How much time do I have, Mike? 45. All right. I'm covering a lot of territory here. Now, let me get into this testament. The... Let's go over here to Genesis six eighteen six. 
18. Sixth chapter of Genesis is where God sees wickedness in the earth when the sons of God married daughters of men. Sons of God, you had to be doing the will of the Father. Sons of God is the lineage of Genesis 5. Adam had a son called his name uh, God had a son called his name Adam, had a son called his name Seth, Adam had a son called his name Enosh, then Canaan, then Mahalalel, and then Jared, and then Enoch, and then Methuselah, and then Lamech, and then Noah, having four, three sons, uh, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now here, here's the first but it's the same covenant that was given to Abraham. It's a covenant of obedience. Was Noah, did Noah obey God? Noah, by faith, Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his house. He was obeying God when God said, build an ark and bring the animals in. Now here in in sixth chapter of of Genesis verse 18. This is God talking to Noah. Well, let's read a verse before it. He says in verse 14, Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Pitch it within and without with pitch. Pitch with pitch means to cover with a stain and dye. has the same meaning as baptize. And this is the fashion which thou shalt make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits. A cubit was a foot and a half, approximately the length of the, from the tip of a man's fingers to his elbow. Approximately a foot and a half. 450 feet long. That's a big arc. The breadth of it, 50 cubits. That's 75 feet wide. And 30 cubits high. That's 45 feet high. A window shalt thou make in the ark, and in the cubit thou shalt finish it above. There was a window, only one opening in the ark. It was not a boat-looking thing. It did not look... It did not look like a ship with a bow and a stern like this. Did not look like that and did not have a deck to it. It looked like a box, a casket. Looked like this. And had a cubit, a foot and a half window, and that's all. Nothing else. And it stunk for 370 days, urine from the cattle and from the birds. Uh, defecation and that was a 370 day fire and trial and the ark was pitched kafar covered within and without with pitch kofar that was a red stained caulking so the boat wouldn't sink had the same meaning as baptized with babto baptized means to cover babto means to stain with a dye now Then he says, The window shalt thou make a foot and a half, shalt thou finish it above. That was the only opening in the ark. And the door of the ark shalt thou set in the side thereof 
with lower, second, and third stories of the ark, thou shalt make it. So you had three stories to the ark, separated all the animals. And behold, I, even I, this is God talking, I do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, wherein is the breath of life from under heaven, and everything that is in the earth shall die. But with thee, Noah, will I establish by covenant. You will do what I say, obey me, and I will take you through the flood, and you will be obedient to me. And he did. So that's a covenant by definition. And thou shalt come into the ark, thou and thy sons and thy wife, and thy sons' wives with thee, and of every living thing of flesh, two of every sort shalt thou bring in the ark to keep them alive. He's given instructions to Noah what your obedience will be. You'll do everything I say. When you have a covenant, you have to obey God. Israel did not obey God's covenant. And they shall be male and female of fowls after their kind, of cattle after their kind, every creeping thing of the earth of his kind. Two of every sort shall come unto thee to keep them alive. And take thou unto thee of all food that is eaten, and then thou shalt gather it to thee, and it shall be for food for thee and for them. Thus did Noah, thus did Noah. He's doing the commandments of God in the covenant. Thus did Noah according to all that God commanded him, so did he. Then let's read some of this next chapter. And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark. For thee have I, for thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. Noah was righteous man. By faith Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet. Prepared an ark for the saving of his house. And Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He was saved by grace through faith. And every clean beast thou shalt take thee by sevens. And the male and female beasts that are that are not clean by twos. Why the sevens of the clean beast? That's the only ones they can eat. That had to have a cloven hoof and chew the cud. So they're going to be killing some of the clean beasts to eat. You got to keep two, one male and a female, so when you come out of the ark, they can multiply and replenish the earth. So when you see all these people drawing pictures of Noah, and he's only got two of each animal going to the ark, no, no, had two of the unclean, so they could multiply and replenish. Had seven of the unclean, of the seven of the clean, so they could be eating in the ark killing a lamb, killing a young bullock, so they could have beef for supper. What's for supper? Beef. All right. Now, the next time you see covenant, covenant always has to do with death to self. That's drinking a cup is death to self. You don't have a covenant unless you're willing to die and do the things of God. Let me just say it one more time. It fits right here. You have to be obedient. When there are words that are 
synonyms. A synonym for a covenant would be to bequeath. When you bequeath something, you have to have the death of the testator, don't you? You can't get your you can't get your inheritance. That's part of this whole thing. You can't have your inheritance, your cleronomos, your legal portion as inheritance until somebody till your parent dies. I don't know why I put inheritance. Inheritance. Somebody has to die for you can inherit your father and mother's estate. And his estate is what he bequeathed us, which is death to self. Look at look at first Peter. I hope I'm just really seeing all of this come together. I believe God's word, everything in it, if I can teach long enough for about two hundred years. Everything in the Bible will come together into one word. Look over here in First Peter. In First Peter. That second chapter. I've already started on this, and I'm going to try to get through it. First Peter. The second chapter. He's talking about calling God's people out of this world. If he calls us out, he's talking about not living for the flesh, but living for spiritual things. When you find the word called, it's the word kaleo. Ekkaleo or ekklesia is the word church. Ekklesia comes from the word ek and kaleo. Ek and Kaleo. And he's telling us what we're called out to do. He's calling us out to partake in the last will and testament. But there was a death of Christ, and it has to be the death of us physically. I'm talking about death to our desires, our sin, our fleshly man. And he says here, Verse 21, For even hereunto were ye called, Kaleo. Here's what you were called to as the church. Hereunto were ye called, because Christ suffered for us. He died on a cross. He died the death. That's where his testament comes into effect. And here's the testament. Leaving Leaving is one of the most important words. It has the same meaning as a testament. Leaving is the word hupolimpano. Hupolimpano. L-I-M-P-N-O. It means to bequeath. How does God bequeath these things? He died on a cross and left us his last will and testament. And he starts in naming all of the things in his last will and testament and everything he names here, which is left to us 
is death itself. Everything in this list, there has to be a death to us. Leaving us an example. That word example means it's the word hoopogramma. Hoopo. Grandma. It comes from two words. Hoopo means under. Grandma is a form of graphe. And that word means to write. It means an underwriting. Whenever you have, when you buy an insurance policy, somebody has to underwrite the policy and guarantee the payoff. This is a this is a bequeathing that's guaranteed to give you eternal life, and it has to do with obedience, death to self. And the first thing on the list, Jesus did no sin. We have to have something in us that does not sin. We've got the inner man that can't sin. Whosoever is born of God does not commit sin. His seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin. He's born of God. Oh, but the outer man can't quit sinning. So over the years, God's got to burn out most of the outer man, but he never gets rid of all of it until the day we die. He did no sin. Neither was guile found in his mouth. That's a part of your testament, your bequeathing. You got to get away from all your trickery. Dolos. If you say things, you stretch them, you embellish them, make them sound bigger than they are, that's guile. Boy, it's hard not to use guile, isn't it? That's one of the hardest things we got to overcome. We want to blow things up bigger than they are so we can impress somebody to do what we want them to do. Guile is a terrible, awful thing. I've given you other words that are related to it. The word dolios, D-O-L-I-O-S, means deceitful. Whenever you use guile, you're deceiving people. D-O-L-I-O-S. Well, let me make me some place over here. D-O-L-I-O-S. This is what's bequeathed to us is death to self. It's real hard to cut, get out of quit trying to stretch things. We used to call it in the 40s and 50s being windy. Say, boy, he sure is windy, isn't he? When you tried him, I had a sister-in-law that she bragged on everything she had. She'd take you into the house and say, and this is my new, this is my new couch and it's made of this and it's got wood that's been shipped from somewhere and there's never been wood like this. One day she took me in and showed me something and he was bragging on it and boy, made the thing so big. I said, wow, I've never seen anything like that in my life. And she said, oh, I said, isn't that what you want me to say? I just would put her on just like, wow, that's unbelievable. <laughs> Next time somebody does that, just do that to them. 
They they don't know what to do. They're using guile to impress you. You might use guile to get somebody to do something that'll be in your favor, get you money, get you position or something. You can't do that as a believer. If The Bible says let your yea be yea and your nay nay. Yes, no, that's it. That's what your answer should be. As a believer, the rest of your life is going to testify to your honesty. You don't have to stretch things. I know a lot of people. Have I ever used gal? Yeah, when I was younger. Didn't use a lot of it. I was always real plain. But when I got around position people, I wanted to do something. Then he said, God wasn't found in his mouth. And all of this is a list of what God's bequeathed to us in his last will and testament. And then it says, when he was reviled, reviled not again. What's he talking about? Jesus? No, no. He's talking about you and I. This is a list of what he has bequeathed to us. When you're reviled, you have no business of talking back to people and fighting and arguing with anyone. Do you know that that has really been something I've learned? I learned some of that when I was young. When people would jump my case, I was in my 40s in real estate, and they'd jump on me. i just look at them. Sometimes that's the best way to approach people, keep your mouth shut. When you get to yelling and screaming and getting loud with somebody, if you'll keep your mouth shut, they can hear the way they're talking. They can hear what they're saying. They can't hear what they're saying if you're yelling back at them. Can they? So getting mad. Besides that, I keep saying, most of the world in the world, most people in the world are vessels of wrath fitted to destruction. That's what the Bible says. Wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many go in there because only a few are entering into the narrow way. So most of the people you deal with out there are vessels of wrath. Why are you getting angry at them when God fixed them that way so they could give you a hard time? And that's the will of God. When I got, got older like I am now, I don't ever have an argument with anybody. If somebody wants to argue with me, I just get real quiet. Really? Just walk off. That's the best way to do. It's awful hard when you're on a job, isn't it? Because <laughs> you're going to have some horsey person on the job that always wants to be a smart mouth and tell everybody off and let them. Say, you're right. You know, I never thought of that. Might, you might not ought to do that. That sounds like God, doesn't it? So, it's talking about, and he says, when he reviled, he reviled not again. And let me go on to some of these words. Reviled is the word anti-loidoreo, A-N-T-I-L-O-I. A-N-T-I-L-O-I-D-O-R-E-O. A-N-T-I. Anti. Let me get the spelling on this. Anti. Anti. Loi. L-O-I. L-O-I-D. 
O-R-E-O. It means to talk back to people, to fight them. It means to vilify somebody or reproach them, make them look bad, try to make them look bad, to slander them. And one of the definitions is vituperation. I didn't know what that meant, so I looked it up. Vituperation means abusive language. You were not to do that. Would it be polite and gentle? If you can't get along with somebody, walk away. If they want to argue, walk away. Just say, excuse me, i got somewhere to go. They don't understand that. Not arguing, nobody understands that. Just look at them and go, excuse me, walk off. I've done that with people. Really, is that the way it is? Okay, bye. I don't even get mad at him when I do that because I know that God has ordained that to go on in my life. I've got all these verses on being reviled over there in Matthew when Matthew talks about bless you to ye when men shall revile you. You're blessed. Makurios, you're fortunate. But they're going to revile you because you are telling them truth. If you notice when somebody writes and says, there's no such word as predestination in the Bible. When the guy wrote that, I just simply started quoting the verses on predestination. I said, you don't believe that? It's crazy. And then you got all these other verses. I've got all kinds of verses on Leo Doria, uh, railing for railing and First Peter 5, dying there we're talking about. First Peter two and three, twenty three. When he was reviled, he didn't revile again, and and revile would be a synonym for reproach. Anidzo, which means infamous or infamy, trying to make somebody infamous and gossiping about him. We're not supposed to be gossiping. You got to realize God made him that way, and if they are a believer, it's going to take him a long time to bring him out of that. Now, I'm talking to you about the covenant. Let's go back over here in the Old Testament about the covenant. We're talking, when you think covenant, think one thing. God picked us out, gave us laws, and we have to abide by them. In fact, let me give you something that's really interesting. I read it to you, I think, last week. But when I looked up covenant in the Theological Word Book of the Old Testament, wonderful set of books by Gleason Archer, Walkie, and Harris. Gleason Archer is a great thinker. And this is the word covenant, berith. It has the same meaning as agape. Agape was a relationship that kings who chose a people as his subjects, agape was a law that was given to the people that he had chosen, given to the people, and they had to obey his laws. He chooses them makes them his people, and they have to obey, and if they don't obey, that's covenant, that's diatheke, last will and testament. 
do we have to obey God? I was raised in a Baptist preacher's home, and he kept saying, not of works, not of works, it's not of works. Let's any man should boast, not of works. You don't have to work in salvation. Yes, you do. Not It's not something you do. It's something, that's something God does in you. You want to change, but you don't want to change on your own because none seeks after God. You want to change because God puts it into your heart to change. That's what he does. And it may be over a long period of time that you learn to give up certain sins in that outer man. I can't get away from that outer and inner man in my teaching. Let me read this to you out of the theological word book. That's a two-volume set. You look up a word in your concordance. I looked up covenant. I've done this for years on covenant. I just keep forgetting I've got this. I looked it up in the in the concordance, and I take my concordance number to the theological word book, and I look in the index volume in the back, look up that number, and it gives me the theological word book number. Then I turn over to that, and it gives me. And Mr. Archer was a brilliant man when it came to Hebrew and Greek. Here's what they said. Covenant between two nations. A treaty. Alliance of friendship. Remember, friend is the word phileo. Phileo. Or philos. Comes from phileo, meaning affection. And Jesus said, You will be my friends, my philos, if you do what I say. What is that? That's agape. Walking in the commandments of God. Love is not unconditional. Phileo. Have an affection from God is conditional if you are walking His commandments. That's the fact, and it's not an unconditional love. There's no such thing. I'll have an affection for you if you're obedient to me. And people will say, that's salvation by works. It is not. It is God working in you to willing to do of His good pleasure. He works in His family. He's going to cause you to be willing to obey Him. Until you disobey, and when you, when you insert your will in there, your heresy, he says, "I got to whip you with the sword. I got to whip you with the scourge, until I cause you to obey." Same thing you do to your kids. I'll whip you until you do obey. And if you're a good parent, you will whip your children, but you won't start when they're fourteen. That's too late. You got to spank them when they're young, all the way up. I didn't say beat them mercilessly. You beat them mercifully. Then he goes on to say, it's between individuals, a pledge agreement. This sounds like agape. Obligation between a monarch and his subjects. How many times have I defined that as agape? That's the word covenant. And you have to obey. A constitution between God and man. It don't mean you got a covenant just because you 
Because God promised these things to you only in your obedience. And he goes on into this. I'll read some more from it. Now, do I have any time, Mike? I got to go over here and I was going to give you the first time you have an extensive covenant mentioned. It's with Noah in Genesis 9. The next time you have an extensive covenant mentioned, it's with Abraham in Genesis 15 and Genesis 17, where God says you get the land, but you have to obey me. Let me show you what he says over in Psalms 89. He's talking about Israel and their disobedience to his covenant. I mean, sometimes you say covenant. People say that's a that's a hard word to understand. They're disobedient to his last will and testament. Let me put it that way. You cannot inherit without being obedient to the last will and testament. Look here in Psalms 89. Psalms 89. This is something I quote at often. Read this years ago and it affected me. Psalms 89. This whole chapter is about Israel's disobedience to God. In the Old Testament, their disobedience to his contract. A covenant's a contract between a king and his subjects. That's agape. The whole chapter. You want to read the story of Israel? Well, let's read some of it. Verse. I can't go through all of it. Verse 3. I have made a covenant with my chosen Israel. I have sworn unto David my servant, thy seed will I establish forever and build thy throne for generations. And the heavens shall praise thy wonders, O Lord, thy faithfulness, also in the congregation of the saints. For who in heaven can be compared unto the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty can be likened unto the Lord? God is greatly to be feared. He's be feared concerning his covenant and the assembly of the saints. And he had in reverence all them that are about him. O Lord of God of hosts, who is a strong Lord like unto thee or to thy faithfulness around thee? Thou rulest the raging sea. When the waves thereof arise, you're still in charge of them. Thou hast broken Rahab in, in pieces as one that is slain. Thou hast scattered thine enemies with thine strong arm. The heavens are, thy, are thine, the earth also is thine. As for the world and fullness thereof, thou hast founded them. Let me read on down here in the chapter. Let's go down to verse 27. I will make him, talking about the people that are obedient, thy firstborn higher than the kings of the earth. My mercy will I give for him forever, and my covenant shall stand fast with him. His seed shall also make it endure forever, and his throne as the days of heaven. If his children forsake my law 
and walk not in my judgments. He says, you're walking not in my covenant or my statutes. If they break my statutes and keep not my commandments, they're breaking my covenant. Did Israel do that? Yes. Then will I visit their transgression with a rod and their iniquity with stripes. That's when he carried northern Israel away into captivity in 722 B.C., southern Judah in 586 B.C., because they rejected the covenant of God, and after sun and tree worship, the same system that was brought into the church by Constantine and renamed the Christ Mass, renamed the Feast of Saturn Christmas. Nevertheless, just because my children won't keep my covenant, nevertheless, my loving kindness will not uh, not utterly take from him, nor suffer my faithfulness to fail. My covenant will I not break, even though you break it. For this is talks about the grace of God. Nor alter the things that has gone out of my lips. Once I have sworn by my holiness, that will I not lie unto David. His seed shall endure forever, and his throne as the sun before me. He said, I'll visit transgression with a rod when you break my covenant. That's what happens in our life when we're born and we go off into sin, and God says, you're going to behave yourself, and you're going to do the things I say, and you are going to obey me. And when you say this, people say, that's salvation by works. No, that's salvation of God working in due to willing to do of his good pleasure. It's God's works in a man. It's God creating us in Christ Jesus and do good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. And he said, Israel in Psalms 44 have dealt falsely. Psalms 44. Look at Psalms 44. The Psalms were written by many people, not just David. Moses wrote a lot of the Psalms. David wrote some. Asaph, David's song director, wrote some of them. And you look at the superscription, that's the line above the Psalms. It'll tell you who wrote it usually and who it was written to. Psalms 44 is talking about Israel. He's talking about Israel. I don't know where to start here. He said in Deuteronomy 28, If you're obedient to my commandments, you'll go against your enemy one way, and they'll flee seven way. In verse 15, he said, If you're disobedient to this covenant, you'll go against your enemy one way, and you'll flee seven ways. He says in verse 10, Thou makest us to turn back from the enemy. We turn our backs on the enemy and run from them. And they which hate us spoil for themselves. Spoil means to take away your things and your stuff. Just like a pirate will get on a ship and say, Let's take the spoils, matey. Thou hast given us like sheep appointed for meat, and has scattered us among the heathen. He did that with Babylon and Assyria. 
Thou sellest thy people for naught, and dost not increase thy wealth by their price. You sell us out to the heathen, because we were breaking your covenant, worshiping other gods. Thou makest us a reproach to our neighbors. We look infamous. They walk by and hiss at us and make fun of us. A scorn and a derision to them that are round about us. They look at us and say, you couldn't even follow your God, could you? He says that many times in the Old Testament. Thou makest uh, makest us a byword among the heathen. That means the heathen are going to make fun of us. We're going to become a byword and they'll curse us. A shaking of the head among the people. Look at Israel. They couldn't even follow their God. My confusion is continually before me, and the shame of my face hath covered me for the voice of him that reproacheth and blasphemes us by reason of the enemy and the avenger. All this is come upon us, yet have we not forgotten thee? Whither have we dealt falsely with the covenant of God? They dealt falsely. But we do that in our lives, don't we? We quit walking righteously and we go out there and people that call themselves Christians, they drink a little and they cuss a little and tell a few dirty jokes and think, I can get along with the world and get and do what pleases them. No, you can't. The covenant has to do with everything that I've got on the board. When you see covenant testament, think death to self. Think drinking the cup. Think of blood baptism. I've got so many things on. I've got all these verses. When you really get into the covenant of God, go back to Genesis 9. Do I have time for this, Mike? Seven. Seven minutes. I'll read a little of this. This is where most people think of the covenant, but it but it was here with Noah. God just renewed it with Abraham. That's what they say in this article on the covenant. They say something here that's very interesting. They say that the priestly covenant of Numbers, the Davidic covenant, and the new covenant of Jeremiah 31 are all administrative aspects of the same covenant. What God established with Noah was the same thing he established as Abraham, the same thing he established with the priesthood. Anytime you see covenant, it's the last will and testament of God when he dies and he requires our dying daily on a daily cross. He that beareth not his cross and followeth after me cannot be my disciple. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. That's part of the our part of the covenant. The covenant has to do with our obedience. You can't just be a son of God and not obey. I'll tell you what you do. Take your concordance and look up obey and obedience in the Bible. It's just unbelievable how much God says we have to obey Him. In Galatians, the third chapter, 
Paul tells the Galatians, Received ye the Spirit of the law by by your own self or by obedience to the faith. You have to obey the faith. We have to obey righteousness. He that doeth truth cometh to the light. When you do truth, you're obeying truth. When you do when you do righteousness, you're obeying righteousness. You're doing what's right. Righteous comes from the word right. Do you have to do what's right? Yes. Then he says again here, the law and promise aspects of God's covenant relationship with his people do not violate each other. Everywhere you find the covenant, it's the same thing everywhere else. It doesn't violate any other covenant. It's all about obedience to God. He gives us the law, chooses us, picks us out before the foundation of the world and says, now you will obey me and I will see to it. I think one of the things wrong with the preachers in America, they don't preach obedience to God. They think, well, that sounds legalistic. Well, it is legalistic. It's God's law. No most. You can't have a legal inheritance, kleronomos, unless you're obedient to God. But you can't obey God on your own. He has to cause you to do that. And he knows how with the scourge. Now, over here in Genesis, the ninth chapter, you got the covenant mentioned, verse 11, verse 12. Verse 13, verse 15, verse 16, and verse 17. The whole thing is about God's promise to Abraham that he have a son, Isaac, and that he'd get the land. But you have to circumcise the foreskin of the flesh. That's the cutting off of sin. That's a picture in the New Testament. We're circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. That's the circumcision of our hearts. That was the sign of man to God about the covenant. Let's read that 11th verse. Do I have any time, Mike? Three. Three minutes. I'll read one verse here. 17 and 2. I will make my covenant between me and thee and will multiply thee exceedingly, Abraham, or Abram. He changed his name from Abram, or Abram, in this chapter to Abraham. Abram means proud father. Abraham means father of many nations. I will make my covenant between me and thee. And Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee. Thou shalt be a father of many nations. That's what Abraham means. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thou shalt be called Abraham from now on. For a father of many nations have I made thee, and I will make thee exceeding fruitful, and will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee, and I will establish my covenant between me and thee, and thy seed, after thee and thy generations for an everlasting covenant, there it is again, to be a God unto thee and thy seed after thee, and I'll give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land. There's a condition on it. You've got to obey me. 
God took the land away from them for 2,600 years simply because Israel disobeyed the covenant of God. Wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, Thou shalt keep my covenant. You keep the covenant. Don't you break it. Thou and thy seed and thy generations, this is my covenant which you shall keep. This is a two-way street. It's a two-way contract. Every child among you shall be circumcised. That's the literal circumcision. The New Testament is the circumcision of the heart, the putting away of sin. That's obedience to God. Every man-child among you shall be circumcised. He shall circumcise the flesh of the foreskin, and it shall be a token, a sign of the covenant between me and you. And spiritual circumcision is cutting off of the filth of the heart. That's what the New Testament Scripture says in Ephesians 2 and Colossians 3. And he that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you. Circumcision is evidently a health issue. Some say that men that are circumcised, they have less chance of penile cancer. This is evidently something that's clean. There's been much debate over that. I don't debate over it. I just say that's what God required, and it requires circumcision of the heart. That's the true Jew. Let's pray. Father, thank you for truth. Lord, you've led me into something that's just overwhelmingly nearly over my head, but you're letting me see it. That all these things are part of the same picture. What a magnificent God you are to paint this picture for us and let us see it. I pray you'll continue to open my eyes to this whole picture so that the people that are listening can understand that your word is magnificent. You fight our battles, Lord. People come up against us, and we know you've put them against us because they're they're the fire that we go through so you can keep us straight and in line. Lead us not into temptation. Fight our battles. Lead us to your family in Christ's name. Amen. This covenant thing is just something that's hitting me real hard. It's about the death of self and the death of Christ. I used to think covenant was a difficult word, but if you look at what it means, it's not difficult at all. I think it's pretty cool how it's synonymous with um, agape. It is. That's pretty cool. It's it's a synonym for agape. That is amazing, isn't it? Yep. And it it has it to do with obedience. And all these Baptists are raised around and say, we ain't got to obey God. It's not of works, but any man should boast. It's crazy the way they talk. I couldn't understand that when I was a teenager and listened to my father saying, not of works, not of works. I get to cuss if I want to and run somebody off the road in my car and take a ball bat after somebody. It don't sound like obedience to me. 
Faith, faith obeys God. It's what it does. Faith believes God, and you have. If you believe God, you don't just believe in God. You believe Him, what He said. Uh, it's obedience. And people that don't want to obey God, they don't believe in predestination because we're predestined to conform and be like Christ, Christ obeying the Father. Christ was obedient to the Father. That's right. We have to be like Him. We have to be like Him. I don't. It seems so easy, doesn't it? All these preachers out here that say works ain't got nothing to do with it. With good works does. Agathos works. Works are a result of your um, of your faith. If you don't have, if you have faith, you do. Them. If you don't have, that's right. That's, that and you can't do them easy because that takes years to overcome this old flesh. It takes years. I just, I love the truth. <laughs>